and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, your beat writer for The Athletic, and he's the answer to the question. Fake it till you make it, but what happens when you do? He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. Staying warm. I've survived a, a whole week up here back in Michigan, so it's going all right. I was actually going to ask you, uh, as a man born and bred in Texas and educated in Oklahoma, how are you uh, driving in the snow slash ice? What, how's, what's your skill set level there? Educated in Oklahoma in quotation marks, of course. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, this always this always fascinates people. Like the worst roads I've ever driven on, Amarillo, Texas, by far. And you could kind of throw Stillwater, Oklahoma, in there too, because those are places where it'll snow a couple times a year. You know, not a ton, but it'll snow a few times a year. And sometimes when it snows, it can snow quite a bit. And because it does not snow often, these cities are not really equipped with the tools or the vehicles to clear the roads. So I've driven on some snow, on some ice. I mean, when I was 16 and I got my license, there was a lot of snow on the ground and it was just on the roads and I like spun out like the first day I had my license. Uh, Up here in Michigan, you know, yeah, it snows a lot. Uh, At least everywhere I go, like the roads are normally pretty clear and taken care of so unless um, you just catch it at bad timing I've really never had much trouble driving up here Uh, of course now you know I used to have a a jeep now I'm rocking the Mustang I was a little concerned like how's that gonna do so far you know it snowed this week but I did not encounter any roads that uh, were of any concern at all this is probably going to get me some eye rolls by our listeners, our northern-based listeners. But I promise you there's a reason I'm asking this. Do they salt the roads up there right now, currently? Is they, do they salt? Does the city salt the roads? I believe so. The reason I ask is because uh, my mother, hello Olive, my mother is uh, from Poughkeepsie, New York. Obviously, it's New York. They get this kind of weather all the time. And when they lived there again a handful of years ago, the city stopped salting roads, I guess I would say, regularly. There was like a window, like it was limited. It wasn't just like snow, salt, plow, it was more regulated and so you could go out and still encounter a rough road that hadn't really been salted hadn't really been plowed and i think that was like a city budget constraint thing Mm -hmm. so now i'm under the impression that maybe not everywhere does it like they used to i don't know i i don't know if i'm wrong there. that's why i asked the question but yeah I'll, I'll need someone more knowledgeable about the ins and outs of salting city roads to answer that one i could certainly see um you know in the city of detroit they might not uh, salt every single road but i feel like downtown they definitely do right am i wrong do we have any listeners who uh have any special insight? Hit us up and educate us on this topic. Yes, you. please do. But are you seeing sand though? Because that's the southern thing. Is the, the you just see sand all over the road? Is there sand in Michigan? Do they do the sand. Uh, you're asking. I don't. I don't think so. Um, 
Because it, it looks weird when I you just, get the sand mixed with the snow. That that that's the thing about like whenever it snows in the south on the semi rare occasion is that it just really looks awful pretty quickly because the yeah. trucks just come out with the sand and it just becomes like black and grimy and you know it's not very pretty. It's not. It doesn't make a good Hallmark card. Let's phrase it no. like that. <laughs> and that uh, that car that I've mentioned on the podcast before, I it actually. I'm not going to say it served me well in the snow when, when we lived in Stillwater because it was very light. And as a broke college kid, it's not like I was keeping up as well as maybe I should have on uh, traction on the tires. Uh, so I would slide a little bit. But I, uh, ironically, when it wasn't actually snowy out is when I actually only time had a crash with that with that car. I would... I, I was able to manage. I remember we had some meetings during a snowstorm in Stillwater, and that was one of our litmus tests was uh, whether someone was actually going to come to the meetings when there was <laughs> snow on the ground. It's like, how committed are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, pretty quiet on the actual baseball news aspect. But as you sit here... And we're talking via Zoom, and you got yourself a The Athletic hoodie on. The Athletic was in the news this week, uh, being bought by the New York Times. Uh, there's a lot of articles on that if people want to read about the business aspect of that. Um, there's plenty of material out there. But I do think the listeners, your readers, um, your followers um, would appreciate yeah, maybe a little bit of an update. You know, uh, you know, you're, you're still, you still doing doing your thing. Are you a New York Times employee? Like, you know, uh, what can you share with us about that sale? And again, not asking you to get too in depth because obviously that's pretty complicated. Yeah, thanks for. Uh, I already had a couple readers reach out to you know kind of check on me. Are you still employed? Are you doing okay? So, so I appreciate those people who were concerns um as far as i know it's it's going to be business as usual it's always a little scary when i think any company gets sold and there's probably a certain degree of unknown uh but if the athletic was going to be sold i think it's hard to find a better landing spot than the new york times company obviously a company that is going to value quality journalism um we've been told that the athletic will operate as a subsidiary of the times will continue to have its own editorial independence um basically operate as a separate entity from the times newsroom so as a result it's pretty misleading to say i write for the new york times i don't uh i guess i am technically an employee of the new york times company it's actually different than writing for the new york times Still, um, you know, I, I guess kind of a, a cool thing. Again, if we're going to be bought, uh, I think this was a good landing spot. We will see what happens. But uh, as far as I know right now, it sounds like not much will change for athletic subscribers out there. Well, you know, this is actually something that you have gone through that's pretty relatable. You know, a lot of people out there work for various companies that have gone, gone butt out. I know... Um, when I was in high school, this process uh, was with, uh, was going on with uh, my mother's company, and I just mentioned how they lived in New York. She's from New York, but they moved back out to New York in part because she, her company here in Dallas was bought out 
by a New York-based company. So it was basically, come to our corporate office in New York City, or we're essentially eliminating your job. And so, you know, that was going on in my family. I know tons of families across the country and, you know, the the business world kind of have to go through similar stuff like that. So uh, your company had been in rumors for... I don't know, eight months at least, you know, do you, do you feel a sense of now that it's at least over, like if you personally, like, is it something where you're like, all right, now I don't have to see internet rumors about my employer and, 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 you know, there's, there's a little bit of a finality to it. Do you, do you feel a little bit of that? Yeah, I think there were definitely, um, yeah, we, we kind of all had a sense of sale was inevitable at some point. It was just a matter of when I think there is a little bit of a relief. And again, I'm kind of glad we got sold to the Times versus Axios or DraftKings or some establishment that <laughs> isn't necessarily known for journalism. I don't know for sure what sale to a company like that would have looked like. But on the surface, it'd be more easy to think, okay, I could see these people buying this cutting a bunch of jobs, turning it into some kind of, you know, clickbait content farm. And I don't think that at all will be um, what's going to happen under the New York Times. The idea is the athletic, uh, you know, we have like 1.2 million subscribers. Uh, we can really expand kind of the reach of the New York Times company, help um, new readers into their network and probably more new readers into our network at the athletic as well you know for the athletic i think it gives us kind of a safe landing spot for what was a startup that grew really quickly and had a lot of venture capital backing and uh took off and has done well but at the same time um this kind of gives us i think actual financial backing and a a parent company and in a way i think this happens for startups a lot um, it's kind of in the news, like, oh, well, the athletic isn't even actually profitable. Um, our founders have been pretty pleased with uh, the growth of the company and felt like we're on, on uh, basically meet the overhead expenses and on track to being a profitable company pretty soon. Uh, working for the New York Times probably only alleviates any uh, financial concerns that might have existed there. At least that's all my understanding. Well, I will say this. Uh... A sale like this to the co- to a company like the New York Times umbrella is definitely a credit to the work being done by you and your colleagues, and also the people that subscribe. I mean, if if no one was reading, New York Times ain't buying, you know. So if you are a subscriber to the Athletic. It's a little bit of a pat on the back for you because this kind of validates your, especially if you did it in the beginning, this kind of validates your investment and it obviously validates the the principle of the athletic, which is that the written word matters. Um, I know from my perspective, someone who's not employed by the athletic, I respect the the notion of going out there and investing in quality journalism. I respect sort of 
putting feelers out and trying to expand, but then maybe realizing in, in certain areas and then kind of realizing nah, this isn't really working or this isn't really what we're about. And then being able to pivot because I think that's key in any business is being able to pivot um, quickly when you realize that it's not going in the direction you want. So the powers that be have a, a lot of respect for me on that. So uh, I overall think it's a good thing. I'm happy for you, obviously, and uh, and your athletic Detroit colleagues, whom I don't actually know, but I, you know, just like I'm sure listeners and and readers of you kind of kind of feel like you know, you know, they're you're you're involved in their their day to day lives with your work, and and if, if you guys can continue to do what you do, um, it's definitely a good thing. So, um, that's some good news. Uh, there's no easy way. There's no good way to uh, to transition to this. It's it's just sad all around. So uh, we're just kind of gonna dive in a little bit. Um, we didn't talk after Christmas, Cody, on the pod, but on December twentieth of two thousand twenty-one, Kamara Barty, who had most recently been the first base coach of the Detroit Tigers, was gonna retain that role. Um, passed away unexpectedly, um, had a brain tumor, I guess a large brain tumor, very sad, um, he was visiting his family right before the holidays, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, it's all sad and terrible all around, uh, you wrote, you talked to some people who had, uh, played with him, who, who had been coached by him, um, who just knew him in the game of baseball, and it's, pretty clear based on reading that story that this guy who the average baseball fan has no idea who he is but this man left a profound impact on pretty much anyone that he came into contact with and so in it was a very sad but uplifting story to read from my perspective um reporting it what was what, what emotions were you kind of going through because i know you you're you're a thoughtful guy these are similar conversations that we would have just in general um if we were not even recording a podcast as you're reporting on this story a guy that you didn't know personally but you but i could tell in your writing that you felt through talking to people how much of an impact he had yeah, I think I think two things kind of stood out. I mean, one just for me personally, not not to make it about myself at all, but it was kind of one, you know, if you need a reminder to uh, not take people for granted, there it was. Again, I didn't really know Kamara Barty. Didn't really have much of an opportunity to get to know him. You know, he didn't he didn't talk to reporters or anything like that. But when I'd be down on the field in the dugout before games, he would normally walk out of the tunnel and walk out onto the field. And he was a guy that maybe kind of made eye contact with and gave a little head nod or maybe, you know, it was kind of always like, oh, I'm sure I'll be able to, you know, kind of chat this guy up one day. And uh, you just you just never know because he was only 49 years old and now he's gone. And from my standpoint, again, I, I never even got to really talk to him. Um, uh, but in reporting the story and talking to people who did know him, some who did know him quite well, um, some who maybe even were just more of acquaintances or teammates for a short time. I think the thing that stood out, he seems like one of those guys who was the same 
throughout his career in many different situations as a player, as a minor league coach, as a major league coach. Everyone seemed to remember him for the same things, just a warm nature, kind of a charismatic spirit. He had a he had a big smile. Uh, he could be a little bit of a quiet guy, but you know, I think to those who knew him, he he wasn't quiet at all. He was very upbeat. Um, you know, talking to people like Gabe Kapler, who played with him on the Tigers, Damian Easley, who was one of his closest friends uh, when he was a, a Tigers player. Talking to a guy named Zach Dillon, who was like a 24th round draft pick, never played in the major leagues, but, uh, you know, had posted on Twitter about how much knowing KB meant to him when he played in low A Del Marva and, you know, whatever is, you know, in like the mid 2000s, um, two guys from the Midwest and they drove across the country together. At every stop along the way, it seemed like he kind of touched someone's life or inspired someone's life just through uh, being himself, you know, not through doing anything extravagant or over the top, but just by being a uh, friendly, approachable face. Uh, I think he made a lot of people feel welcome and feel comfortable, and that's that's certainly, um, you know, the stories that have trickled out in the days and weeks uh, since his unfortunate and unexpected passing. Yeah, and as you said, there's myriad life lessons to be had from that. Um, your The last couple lines in your story really got me. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. Um, there's also a theological element to it that I don't want to get into, but uh that really got me uh from a quote from his father and and if you're a longtime listener of uh, of this podcast you know you know how much you know we value the the son aspect of the father-son relationship and and what you went through this year cody uh with your father uh you know just from me, obviously, caring about you, caring about your dad. I mean, there's like a million things going through my mind, you know. And, and then my dad being, what does he turn? I think he, this year he turned 72, you know what I mean? And there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty heavy. And uh, I don't know, sometimes when we as as people, as individuals and we're in sort of like a day-to-day grind with whatever our problems are and with whatever whatever sort of issues we have every now and then there's something that gives us a kick in the pants and 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 if you feel like you're a person who either has a good perspective or wants to have a good perspective uh kb's story ought to hit you pretty deep because, you know, I consider myself a person who likes to make people laugh, have a good time, you know, this, that, the other thing. Doesn't mean I'm not ever mad or pissed off or whatever. But, like, I read that and I'm like, you know, are there just random people that, like, I just crossed that, like, would talk about me the way they talk about KB? And honestly, I'm going to probably say no because, you know, I don't consider, like, I... I but from what I'm reading, that guy was all kinds of a great human. And and if you take away, like, 
his great personality that everyone talks about, and then you just kind of focus on the gist of his story, there's a couple things that was fascinating. One, it's not like this guy had a storybook baseball career, if that makes sense. And I'm not trying to dismiss the aspect of making the major leagues. It's a phenomenal accomplishment, 1% of 1% of a 1%. Um, but later round draft pick, hand, what was it, less than 200 games in the major leagues uh, over a span of six seasons. Uh, that's a lot of in and outs. You know, that's a lot of, you know, not playing on and not playing every day, obviously. Um, bounce around, roll five draft, but, you know, all these things. It, 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 it was not the smoothest road. First major league baseball player from Creighton. I didn't know this uh, since Bob Gibson. Um, that was that was a fact. First, first black. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. From Omaha to make oh, okay. the major I'm leagues sorry. since Bob. First, first yeah. black player from Omaha since Bob uh, to make the major league since Bob Gibson. Uh, all this to say, a tremendous life and a lot of life lessons, and you can tell based on those who knew him, and especially with the present Tigers, and has AJ Hinch is kind of building his staff. He'll be missed. He'll be missed, and his spirit will be missed as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, his the, there was a video of his memorial service available online that I that I watched, and another thing that stood out: this was a guy who maintained very close ties to his to his hometown, uh, where he ended up passing away as he was back visiting. But um, I think he was part of a tight knit sports community. His father Jerry had been the head baseball coach at Creighton at one point. His um, he had siblings speak at his service, and, and it was very moving. Um, A.J. Hinch spoke briefly at the service as well, and in, in typical A.J. fashion, I really liked some of the things he said. And he you know, he brought up Barty's speed. As a player, he was known for his speed. I think he stole 20 bases in his first season as a Tiger. You know, He said he, he went a lot of different directions in his career quickly You know, because of that speed. It, it was kind of fitting. He did... A lot of different things in a short amount of time, um, yet was able to leave some kind of impression at, at every stop along the way. Well, it's clear he loved baseball. Uh, that was another thing too. If uh, if you if you look at what it takes to get to the level that he made it at, honestly, both as a player and as a coach. Uh, as a player, obviously. At the level of which he was drafted, he was not going to be considered like a high-value commodity. So he would have had—he did. I mean, he he was not given major league status. He had to earn it. And then as a coach, it's a—it uh, can be a grueling road just to get to be a major league assistant coach, much less manager— you know, everyone focuses on the manager part of it. You know, we do the anecdote all the time of how long it took Jim Leland to be a major league manager. Uh, KB filled a variety of roles in different organizations um, and finally got promoted because, you know, some other coaches took some college jobs. It, 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 it kind of also kind of speaks to the randomness of life um, that, that he got to the status he was and he was as I said, going to be retained. And so uh, a lot of life lessons there to be had uh, from his life, uh, the way he lived it, I should say. 
and really what it takes to accomplish your dreams. Um, this guy, from what I understand, was I would say two parts of two parts of the of an American dream. He became a major league player and then he became a major league coach. So um, definitely will be missed by those who knew him. Um, I always thought. It was awesome that he was a former Tigers player, and then he also ended up, you know, back in a major league coaching role with the Tigers. Uh, that kind of stuff I feel like appeals to a lot of fans as well. So, um, a dual part of the Tigers family, unfortunately, uh, you know, taken too soon. And as I said, they found a large brain tumor, and and, and that ended up being what took him from this earth, uh, but it just goes to show you, you just never know, you just never know, so, uh, again, just like, no easy way to transition into this story, there's no real easy way to transition out of it, so, um, thoughts, prayers to KB and his family, um, especially his father, um, his parents, uh, those, you know, you never, you know, the expression, you know, I couldn't imagine the pain of having to bury a child. And then his, uh, fiance and children, um, yeah, fiance and I believe three children. Three children. Um, I also couldn't imagine the, uh, the pain and the sorrow, uh, that mm-hmm. they must be going through. So thoughts and prayers to everyone who knew him and his, and especially his family as they go through this. So. Again, not an easy way to to tra- transition out of this, but we're gonna do the best we can. the uh, The other source uh, of Tiger's news this week, Cody, was a finalization of the support staff, the performance science staff uh, for the Tigers. If there's a better term, please tell me, because I just kind of lump them all in my head. Uh, we're, we're we're going player development. Okay, here, we're gonna go, which is separate from performance science. I believe I'm told there have been some new hires in performance science too. Some of these positions have been open, but anyway, today we're talking about player development. So more basically coaches. Okay, so maybe okay. So player development staff. The Tigers announced it this week. Uh, it may have been a busy free agency period. It may be a lockout currently, um, but it obviously has been pretty clear that it was a very busy offseason for the Tigers organization as a whole. Uh, anything really stick out with these with these hires or even just the overarching principle of this complete revamping of that side of running a baseball team yeah i think it brings some credence to what we've heard from alavila in the front office for a while uh, when they hired ryan garko as the new vp for player development I, th- I think that was kind of a hyped up hire and the organization really wanted to promote it and then it was like okay like this is cool here's this young smart guy taking over but you know what's what's he actually gonna do well he has not even been uh, in this position for a full season, and he has made a lot of changes. Um, there are a lot of new names and faces kind of overseeing this player development infrastructure. It is. There's a lot of guys. There. I don't know that there's any uh, real way to sum it up, but you know, guys like Steve Smith, who was Casey Mize's uh, 
um, pitching coach at Auburn is now going to be a minor league pitching coordinator. Max Gordon, who uh, worked with Chris Fetter at Michigan and was college teammates with Matthew Boyd, is now going to be the hitting coordinator. Gabe Rebus from the Dodgers is a is the director of pitching. Um, it looks like uh, our friend Dan Hubbs uh, was let go in as he was once the director of pitching strategies. He's not coming back. Uh, guys like Stefano Stroop, you know, one thing that stands out, these guys hired a lot of people from the LA Dodgers. And so next time we're able to actually talk to like Al or AJ or Ryan Garko, I want to be like, how did you get all these people to leave the Dodgers? Uh, yeah. I would assume you offered them slight promotions or pay increases, but still the Dodgers are kind of the gold standard of player development and the Tigers got a lot of staff members from Los Angeles. I think that bodes very well, guys who know what they are doing. Uh, probably the other big change is that Double A Erie Arnie Baylor will not be the manager. He's instead going to be a coordinator for base running and outfield in the minor leagues. I don't know for sure the uh, motivation behind this move, but I can tell you my perception of Arnie Baylor. I think this might be almost a better use of his skills. I mean, this is a guy who is known for working very closely with Mookie Betts and some other guys in the Red Sox system. I think he's a pretty good hands-on coach, and I think this role will probably allow him to uh, travel around the system and really work on instructing guys a little bit more. He'll be replaced by Gabe Alvarez. He is your new manager of the AA Erie Seawolves. Uh, one other thing to note, if you look at this list of minor league coaching, um, minor league coaches, it says bench coach slash developmental coach. Uh, a couple of these stops now have developmental coaches. And I think the Tigers have kind of dabbled in this before, but now it's like more of an official role. And I think a developmental coach, um, you know, I'll try to get you guys a better exact definition of how that differs from a bench coach. But I think it's going to be hands-on or, or, or heavy on, um, it's an analytics-based position, um, or it's someone that's going to work closely with the analytics department to translate that information to players, probably a little bit different than your traditional um, bench coach. But we now have developmental coaches rather than bench coaches at AA, at West Michigan, and in Lakeland. So I think that's going to be interesting to learn more about as well. Looking at it, I had sort of two major thoughts. And I'll never be someone who claims, obviously, to know the ins and outs of every position or uh, the validity of, of building your organization structure this way or that kind of stuff. But if you're bringing guys in who had good jobs, prominent jobs with organizations, and some of them weren't even from Major League Baseball specifically, obviously. Uh, but you tie that in with the free agency signings where you sign one of the top shortstops, and you, maybe even better than that, you sign one of the top shortstops before a lockout, so you just go ahead and knock out that need. You sign one of the best starting pitchers available. The year previous, you were able to get a manager to come in who 
Otherwise, you would have no shot whatsoever of getting uh, a apart from some very, very unique circumstances, and everybody knows what I'm talking about with that. To me, this means that the powers that be are able to sell the Tigers. I And if you're looking for something to kind of hang on to as the lockout continues and as we've talked about like the tigers will be competitive they're gonna be trying to win games no one's throwing out pennant expectations or anything like that or even division title expectations but what right now you can hang on to is that the powers that be are able to sell the tigers to individuals in various roles that are going to help them win games and the number two point that came across my mind was specific to i guess the organizational front office coaching however that meshes uh structure is you know it's this is a pretty quick pivot. You know, this is this is a lot in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, so with those two notions, Cody, how it's obviously apparent that the Tigers are able to sell themselves a little bit to some people who can who want to be a part of uh, the organization in various roles, like I said. And this is a lot of change in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, are you able to kind of add some context to that? Because to me, uh, organizations that are regarded as old thinking don't typically, I mean, we're talking about three months and the front office is, it's not 180, but it's completely changed. You know, like this is a lot of change in a short amount of time. And I'm thinking baseball wise, it's got to be a huge change in the perception of the organization. Yeah, I think uh, one of these deals where two two things can be true at once. I think across the league, the Tigers were probably perceived as even more old-fashioned than they actually were. Like, they didn't always get enough credit for some of the advances they had made. And at the same time, uh, they had some old-school guys in the organization. They were not, you know, on the cutting edge. I think they were they are still behind in a lot of areas. And now you have to wonder, okay, is that over? Like, can we throw that criticism out the window because you now have some top-tier guys with um, very good credentials and experience running your player development system? I think people like to hire people they know. People like to hire... People like them, whether that's good, bad, right or wrong or indifferent. I, I think the day the Tigers hired AJ Hinch, and especially the day they hired Chris Vetter, it was like, okay, these are the type of people who are going to be coming to the organization now. And I think I'm sure AJ um, and, and Chris had involvement in hiring a lot of these people, and I think that shows. I think uh, smart people like to like to associate and hire other smart people. Um, so I, I think it does is emblematic of a culture change. I think I, I think we talked about this at the time of some of the front office restructuring, but I think credit to Al Avila for having an open mind. I mean, he uh, 
he kind of had to let go of some of his boys in uh, Dave Littlefield and you know, David Chad. Which, by the way, guess, could not have been easy. I'm sure it wasn't, you know. Um, uh, but I think Al probably knew that's what needed to happen for this organization to be the best it could possibly be. Um, it, it is a lot of change, a lot of turnover. Now, I get the sense there's some smart people who are going to be well-organized, and it's not like this is going to be chaotic, if I if I had to guess, knowing these guys. Um, but we'll see if, you know, the entire system is kind of able to hit the ground running with so many new faces in new places. There still might be a little bit of a learning curve uh, for some of these coaches. You're going to have just all these different coaches in new roles next year, which might be a little bit interesting. Well, actually, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> just like with the free agency signings, where it's like, you know, on paper and the lead up to it, it's all good. It's all, it's obviously a great thing. Uh, don't necessarily expect too great of a jump. Whenever you're talking about overhauling, as much as we talk about, you know, these moves being pretty quickly, when you're talking about overhauling like a player development system and and we'll expand it to the performance science and you know, all that stuff, uh, these are not overnight, like, you're not going to see, like, results necessarily, like, overnight, you know what I mean? So, there's... Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is like, this is like creating a startup, uh, media company and hiring <laughs> Ken Rosenthal and a few beat writers and being like, all right, hopefully in five or six <laughs> years, people are subscribing to this thing and either, like, we're just making cash or we get sold to something like the New York times. Like that the player development, think of it like, like creating a startup. Everything is an investment for, um, three, four, five years down the road. And, and that's definitely the case. Um, yeah, with all these moves. And I'm not in the, uh, I'm not in the business of just giving owners pats on the back, but if we're going to give Al some credit, I think we got to give Chris some credit for, you know, recognizing this is what it takes. There's, in all sorts of sports, there's a lot of owners that phone it in, and maybe some people thought that way about Chris uh, during his tenure. Um, but this is, this shows willingness, and that's not all you want from an owner of, of the team you root for, but it's part of it. It's part of it. Good good PR for Chris Illich might just be coming out and being like, here's how much I spent on... <laughs> player development this year because that's that's a number we're not normally privy to people can always see the total major league payroll and base everything off that uh the tigers have been investing resources in player development in the minor leagues for several years and i would assume uh these were not cheap moves to make either i assume it uh, raised the organization's overall um overall budget quite a bit you know making this many additions and changes and and probably investing in more new te technology new positions in performance science um yeah that's uh that's that's one example probably of things uh chris Ilch doesn't necessarily get um credit for well let's just phrase it like this before we kind of move on to the next topic uh you lived in los angeles and i mean some of these are probably remote positions but just uh, you know Scare this analogy. You live in Los Angeles, and you want to get hired in Michigan, or someone's trying to hire you for Michigan. You're probably not going there for less money. Let's just phrase it like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though cost of living is probably a little different, uh, 
standard of living is also a little different. Nothing against the great state of Michigan, but yeah, you better you better have something to sell people. Yeah, it's it's California, right? Like it's it's L.A. It's beaches. It's seventy degrees all the time. Like you know, it, 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 I don't know. A lot of these people, unfortunately, are stuck uh, hopping from minor league town to minor <laughs> league town all year. So I'm not sure it matters which organization you work for. You're probably not seeing the the. Um, the main attractions of America all the time. Well, maybe, maybe, but maybe that's where you want to be, and then you got to pivot, and, and, you know. Yeah. So that may, you know, just saying. All right, so uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but we we kind of got our first, I guess, kind of chunk of meat with the with the lockout. Uh, based on reporting, no real negotiations as we record this are going on but expect it to at least start pretty soon of course when they start it's not like it's going to go anywhere for a while uh deadlines make deals as they say and right now we're still not at deadline time and even the first deadline we reach isn't going to be considered a serious deadline but i digress uh jeff passan over at espn kind of with his sources kind of put together a sort of some bullet points of what could be considered a reasonable compromise between the players association and the owners and so i thought i'd read them out and just kind of see you know see what we thought about them so number one i'll i'll just read them out and then and then cody kind of attack whichever one kind of you know strikes you a little bit more than the others Number one, raise minimum salaries to around $650,000 a year, which would be a 14% bump. Number two, add a performance bonus pool for pre-arbitration players. Number three, implement the universal DH. Number four, expand the postseason from 10 to 14 teams. Number five, Remove indirect draft pick compensation for free agents. Number six, significant changes to the draft to de-incentivize tanking and reward small markets. That's a little vague, but number seven, raise the threshold to $230 million plus range and remove other restraints. We're talking about team salaries. Uh, and remove other restraints, including non-monetary and recidivism penalties. So you can take that in whichever direction you wish. Um, I think all the most interesting things about that remain a little vague. I think of that list, everything except expanded playoffs is player-friendly, though, which is good. Um, owners probably want expanded playoffs kind of as their their carrot in exchange for any concessions they give the players because that will bring in more money, more money in ballparks, uh, a lot more TV money. Um, I think raising minimum salaries, that's not one of the more sexy ones on there, but that's a it's pretty important. big win it's for, uh, for kind of baseball's middle class. I think the big one is probably the pre-arbitration bonus mm-hmm. pool, and this is where I wish we knew more about it. If this is... Uh, what we view as a reasonable solution, then it doesn't sound like a big overhaul of the structure of baseball contracts or 
or whatever. It doesn't sound like a move to age-based uh, free agency or service time. It sounds like things will largely remain the same. There will just be ways for guys who really shine in their first couple of years in the league to get paid. Uh, I'm still kind of curious how you how you scale that. Uh, players did not seem thrilled at the idea of like basing things on war. Um, so then, okay, so what is like how do you earn these bonus incentives or whatever it might be? I think that's the most important issue, and it seems like probably still the one we know least about. How are these guys going to get paid? earlier in their careers uh, but removing draft pick compensation that can incentivize teams to spend more raising the luxury tax threshold i think that'll absolutely happen it's a question of of how much but that should get teams to spend more and then also curious to know okay what are you talking about with the draft like you're going to change it okay how are you going to change it because there could be a good way to change it and there could be a bad way to change it so um that's that's where there's still a lot of unknown here well and if they did drastically offer uh, alter the draft we're talking the only major sport american sports league to do something like what was suggested by other reporters was like inverse draft order or i guess whatever like rewarding good teams with high draft picks and stuff like that that would be groundbreaking i do not expect that to happen um, and also I tend to think that I know there is, so I'm not dis- disputing that or there is, was whatever, but I've never really thought of baseball as a sport that like should have the tanking conversation as much as it does. And of course the Astros went and did what they did. And then everybody, and, you know, Cubs to a certain extent, and then everybody, you know, Tigers to a certain extent, everybody kind of wanted to do it. I always thought there's so much player development. I'm not really sure there should be all that much, quote unquote, tanking. It's not like basketball where you tank for a couple of years, you get a couple blue chippers, and then you know it's only five guys on your team at the court at the same time it makes a quite a big difference as opposed to a baseball team. But regardless, um, I do like the luxury tax threshold being um, ris- uh, raised, maybe even removed. Uh, it to me, I'm not like how many. I guess the Yankees did it this year, according to reports. But historically, you, you just don't get that a whole lot with like teams not spending because of the luxury tax. So, in my opinion, uh, it's really increased. Yeah, that, well, it has in recent but, years. But, yeah, but historic, Yankees, the Red historically, Sox, I mean, teams it didn't, are though. It's a weird thing. Yeah, and and yeah. well, both those franchises often kind of went through new ownership cycles i guess you could say uh yeah so so and years of paying that luxury tax and uh i guess they eventually got tired of it <laughs> especially under new new uh new ownership so but you have your own not to get too nitty-gritty with the business but you have your own tv contracts in baseball so right. like in basketball you share you know in football you share like i just i don't know i just well i would like to say like do away with the luxury tax. That's stupid. It's a soft salary cap, so that's not like pro labor, but it's also in place to increase parity and to inc- to prevent the, uh, you know, like when the early 2000s, it just seems like every major free agent was going to go to the Yankees. And that's one of the reasons the, the luxury tax exists is kind of prevent that, give small market teams more of a 
fighting chance. So how do you balance those two ideas? I'm not. I would get rid of the luxury tax. The NBA has a luxury tax, and what is it? In the last, I think since like 1980, like eight franchises have won an NBA title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know that there's as much parity in the NBA. But the whole, like they implement it for the parity because they got small markets too, you know. And yeah. so, oh, and so you're saying it doesn't so work. I'm, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm saying it doesn't work because yeah. like the teams that are willing to spend money to win are gonna spend that money to win. Like they're yeah. they're gonna look at that as the cost of doing business. Uh, maybe baseball has more. I, I guess maybe historically baseball has tends to have more owners who are more bottom line based. On, you know, if you read some stuff about how Kirk Gibson got to the Dodgers. You know, it's <laughs> it's not pretty in terms of the um, the history of negotiations between the players' union and major league teams. Uh, but all right, we can we can move on. That was well. Well, hopefully, some more reporting comes out as these uh, as these negotiations uh, go on. But I decided to kind of do something a little fun. Maybe people will find it entertaining. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But I decided to figure out I'm going to do a Tigers player every week, probably until the season starts. So maybe at this time next year, I'm still going to be going through the 40 man to try to like look for some connections. But uh, how many players can I go from a guy on the Tigers team connection wise to Ty Cobb? So I'm going to call it uh, this is basically, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. But I'm going to call it Cobb Connections. That's what we're going to call this. Um, and I said Tigers players. But for the first one, I decided to go with A.J. Hinch from his playing days. So, I have a list here. Let's see. Including... What we need to do... We didn't do it here. We need to... You need to do one, and then and then I do one, and we see who ha- makes the quickest Ooh, route. That, that. So I feel like you could do AJ... I feel like you could do a lot of these pretty quickly, um, if you really wanted yeah. to, but that might be less interesting at the You could time. do it quickly, or you could do it most interestingly, and I'm not going to claim to have the quickest route, but I think I actually found some pretty good tidbits in here. So, let me count this out again. Including... From Hinch to Cobb, how many players do you think I went through? Well, my thought is, like, you can probably connect almost anyone to, like, like Billy Martin is, like, your perfect bridge. There's probably someone who played with Billy Martin that was somehow, if didn't play with Ty Cobb, was, like, not far removed from Ty Cobb. And then from Billy Martin to A.J. Hinch, that's, you know, that's probably one more generation, some guy in there. So I bet you could do it in four or five. All right, I did a little bit more than that, but I, I the and again I just kind of chose guys and then tried and I didn't cheat this. So there's a way to do it where it's just like on the team at the same time. But I actually looked, I spent way too much time on this. I actually looked to see if they were in the lineup the same day or they played in the same game. <laughs> so and that actually sparked some pretty interesting connections. So AJ Hinch. On April 1st, 1998, while a ma- I tried to do this for the Tigers, but they were so young when he was on the Tigers that this would have taken me a lot longer. Um, A.J. Hinch on April 1st, 1998, while a member of the Oakland Athletics. 
was in the starting lineup with Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson, on April 10th, 1980, was in the starting lineup with a man named Mario Guerrero. Mario Guerrero, on April 8th, 1973, pinch hit. So this is the interesting part when you go to actually the game. <laughs> pinch hit for Luis Aparicio, and I hope I say that right, uh, Hall of Famer uh, infielder. I said April 8th, 1973, while a member of the Red Sox, Mario Guerrero pinch hit for Luis. Luis, on May 20th, 1956, was in the lineup while a member of the White Sox with Fred Hatfield, who uh, was a handful, had a couple all-stars to his credit, I believe. Hatfield, on September 14th, 1950, pitch ran for Ted Williams. Uh, And... Ted Williams, on May 15th, 1939, was in the starting lineup with Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox, on May 4th, 1928, was in the starting lineup, actually as a catcher, was in the starting lineup with one Tyrus Raymond Cobb, that time with the Philadelphia Athletics. And that game, actually, again, it was 1928, was against the Tigers. It was in Philadelphia, but it was against the Tigers. And Charlie Geringer was in the starting lineup for the Tigers. So there you go. AJ Hinch the Cobb. That was interesting. So how many how many degrees of separation we so got? So we there? go Ricky Six. Guerrero, Luis, Hatfield, Williams, Fox. So one, two, three, four, five, six. It, All right. So we got less than seven. I just wanted to get less than seven. But when I saw the stuff of, like, the pinch running, the pinch hitting, I mean, you know, for, for a couple of Hall of Famers, I mean, you just never, you know, never know what, what, what you're going to find. So I'm going to see, I'm going to try random players, see how fast we can get to Ty Cobb. So uh, that will be your lockout material for the Turning the Corner listeners, <laughs> as I have a million tabs open on my computer on baseball reference, <laughs> <laughs> figuring out this guy works for this, this guy works for that. Um, there's a lot of people that... Especially once you get into like the '60s and stuff, that don't play for other teams, uh, so it actually gets a little more complicated because it's you know you gotta be a little more creative there. So that is uh, that is your Cobb connection of the week. So for our uh, College Chronicle story, I'm gonna tell a story about what you know any adolescent teenager would consider. One of the most significant days of their lives. So, <laughs> this one is going to be uh, pretty much all Kieran, mostly because I wasn't actually part of the story. So, uh, and 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 the pod here's a preview. The pod is slowly getting a little more risque. So, unless I just have a smart ass comment, I'm just going <laughs> to turn this one over to Kieran. So, back in college, when we worked at the newspaper. That was like our place of hanging out during the day, right? That would be in between classes or if you just didn't want to be at your place or you had some work to do, you hang out in the college newsroom. And I uh, I was in there. It was around midday. This was a December day. And I was in there by myself. No one else was in. And a celebrity walked into the newsroom. So before I reveal the celebrity... I gotta give a little bit of backstory. 
that year, 2014, Oklahoma State had a pretty good football team. Baylor had a pretty good football team. They had an epic clash Saturday night on ABC. College game day was in town. And uh, that game, Oklahoma State, it was one of the coldest uh, days uh, games I've ever attended, Cody. Uh, but that day, college game day was in town. We went to college game day. All this stuff was a whole day. And so, as you guys know, college game day, it's big with having signs up uh, that are funny and witty and, you know, this kind of thing. So, this guy had a sign up, and the sign said, Baylor's defense has more holes than this person I'm about to reveal. So, the, what the rest of the sign said, he was talking about Lisa Ann. If you don't know who Lisa Ann is, one you're lying. You are lying. And if you get to a safe space, you can be like, "Oh my god, Lisa Ann." Lisa Ann is a adult video performer. And if you don't know who that is and you want to get over your lie, you can go watch the Eminem music video, uh, "We Made You," and she is in that portraying Sarah Palin in the music video. So if you want a safe way to look it up, now you can see who that person is once you stop lying to yourself. So I'm in the newsroom. Okay, let, let me correct. Lisa Ann is an avid football fan. She actually does like podcasts. She comes on the radio in Dallas all the time. She's like yeah. fancy football stuff. Like she's really into football, really into sports in general. And someone brought it to her attention because they saw it on Twitter. And she thought it was hilarious. So she reached out to that individual. By the way, this is all Google verifiable. You can just Google Lisa Ann, Oklahoma State, and you can find out the whole story. Uh, and she reached out to the individual who was in our college. We didn't know him, but he was in our college. He was a sports media student. And so she wanted to come see him or come meet him or whatever. And so she came to Oklahoma State, and they gave her a tour of our journalism building and so uh, so any tour has to come through the college newspaper newsroom right so i'm in there working and i look up and they come in i'm the only one there which means i essentially have to be like the tour guide of the newsroom and of course i recognize her right away i mean i never recognize her i don't know who she is and so like you know she goes hey i'm lisa or whatever and i introduced myself shook her hand and i gave her a tour of the newsroom and I kept it together, Cody. I, I kept it together pretty well. But the entire time that I was in the company of Miss Anne, who, by the way, is very short. is a very small person. Uh, I'm always fascinated by people's heights. I don't know why. She's a very, very short person. She might be 5'3". Um, and as soon as she left the newsroom after I was done talking to her, I'm pretty sure I texted every single one of my hometown friends, my uncles, uh, anyone <laughs> who I thought would know who Miss Lisa Ann was, and I was, and I just literally said, "I just met Lisa Ann," and that was it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 cherry on top, and also it should be noted that that was a hard one for me to sort of be like, because. You know, my college girlfriend worked at the newsroom, too. So it was kind of weird for me to be like, oh, yeah, I met a celebrity today. You know, Lisa Ann or whatever. 
I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really make it seem like I, I don't know. I just really didn't want to make it seem like it was the biggest deal on the planet. Which for that day and that time, it was, it was a pretty it, landmark day in the life of Kingston. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, come on, it's a celebrity. I mean, you know, if if, if, if we're talking about like degrees of separation, I've met Lisa Ann. I have second degree connections to a lot of people. Oof, a lot of people, Oof. um, including Eminem. Right. So, uh, so yeah, uh, she actually ended up taking that student who had that sign, who she thought was so funny and wanted to meet. She ended up taking that student to that year's adult video awards. So again, you can look at all this up. We're not lying. Just Google Oklahoma state, Lisa, Ann, and there's, you know, stuff about it on there. So you talk about crazy things happening in college. I mean, that was, the odds on that happening were pretty... Again, I just happened to be the only one in the newsroom. I could have not been in the newsroom, you know? So, I mean, talk about stars aligning for certain-minded individuals of, 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 uh, of a certain time and place in life, you know? <laughs> she was. I was not in the newsroom. Many people met her that day. I, uh, I did not have the, the fortune to meet her. Did, did, did not exchange pleasantries? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Uh, so I hope, I hope that was PG enough for people as we, uh, you know, tried to put out what she does and why she came to Oklahoma State. I tried to not get its graphic with the sign, but you know, it, it was broadcast on a Disney uh, owned channel, you know? No, we're, we're slowly moving into full on PG 13 and maybe, you know, I think to get picked up by the athletic, we have to mirror some of these other pods, which, uh, which can contain a lot of cursing. So um, athletic is not afraid sorry, of mom i think we're i think we're you know slowly just moving into um more explicit territory with the podcast which here. is which has been rewarding for other podcasts so just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else you want to get into today cody that is all i think we've really covered a full spectrum of topics and emotions on this pod so i'm i'm out that's right that's why that's why i i hope that's why people come to turning the corner because you can you can talk you can hear about your favorite baseball team and then you can hear about some guy meeting an adult video star like is there any other baseball podcast that brings that to the table I'm probably I'm, not. I'm gonna guess no. Probably not. I'm gonna guess no. No, I'm gonna tell you absolutely not. I, I, here's one thing: baseball podcasts probably more boring than a lot of pod. Maybe like us. Maybe this is why we got to spice it up a little bit. Uh, I, I listen to a couple of baseball podcasts, and I think they're interesting. But most of them just talk about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to broaden the horizons of everybody, and. <laughs> Maybe get Eminem a couple more YouTube clicks while we're at it. Uh, Detroit's own Eminem. So, all right. Well, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, on Cody's behalf, I want to thank everybody who subscribes to the Athletic because, as I said earlier, you're the people that made the sale to New York Times Company possible. Uh, please continue to listen as we try to get through this lockout together. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. If you feel so inclined, a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. And, you know, if you got any any anything you want us to talk about, feel free. He's at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod on Twitter. You know, shoot us a DM. 
at us, you know, you got a question, I mean, we'll probably do a mailbag here pretty soon, but if you just got anything you're curious about, just shoot us a DM, add us a little bit, and, you know, we'll bring it up. So we, we love having people listen to us talk about the Tigers, and, and uh, as Cody said earlier, it's like, you know, checking in on him, you know, that's that's pretty cool. We value you guys as uh, as it feels good to be valued, so... Uh, we'll get out of here. Hope everybody has a great week. For Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.